Welcome to Inside Shopify UX. As always, I'm your host, Lalao Yalao Pearson, UX Director at Shopify. On today's episode, I speak with Senior Manager Jen Rogers, who heads up our UX Ops teams, UX Director and my boss, Monica Piotrowitz, and Sadia Latifi, UX Director on our Ecosystems team. We discuss leading at Shopify, the shape of a UX career, how we enable growth and development of ICs, and what it's like to work in the biggest design team most of us have ever been in. Stick around. Okay, so let's get straight into it. So this episode, we want to unpack leading UX and leadership at Shopify in general, UX leadership at Shopify. So maybe Jen, kicking off with you. This is probably one of the secret sources of our scale is that we have the operations team headed up by you. So lead with the number and tell us a little bit about like what it means to be leading UX ops in yeah, in Shopify today. Hmm. So like our number, we have over 500 folks in UX in general across the org in all different pockets. And, and there you'll find UXers like living everywhere, right? Like on our talent teams, on our support teams, they're all over the place. Um, so one of the challenges of UX ops is how can we bring these folks together in a meaningful way around things like our rituals, education programming, um, our external communications per- to make things like our podcast, making sure that all of these different groups are represented. And how like because you've been with Shopify for a few years now. Two and a half years, yeah. Yeah. So how different is leading operations today to say when you first joined? I think that the remit of operations has changed as Shopify scaled. So things like looking at our people analytics, like our people data, like around headcounts and ratios, these uh, hiring priorities, these were never when I started, was not a hot topic or something that was really within the remit of UX ops. Uh, and that's significantly changed. Um, we yeah. were very closely aligned to our data, how our teams are growing, and where our teams should be growing. Um, that's that's like one example. I think that as, as things have scaled, the other place is that it used to be, and it still is to a certain degree, very divergent across teams, what things like onboarding look like, what yeah. management training look like, all of these different things. Um, UX Ops is really there now to provide a strong foundation uh, of the information that everybody should have when they start, um, clear inform- clear education guidelines to what we should be doing across the org and there's still going to be divergence, right? Like each, each yeah. group is still going to have their individual mandates as to things that need to be uh, zoned in on. Uh, but UX ops is really there to provide that strong foundation for everybody. I honestly think, and I don't know, Monica and Sadia, you probably feel similar to this. Like I don't think I could do my job because I, I have a team of over 40. So I couldn't do my job without Jen's team, <laughs> quite frankly. Like it's like, 100%. The, the the ladder for leadership assumes that we've got like the operational infrastructure in place, which is, again, a maturing that I never saw coming necessarily. But now it's just like you can take UX ops from my cold, dead hands, basically. It's like must have. <laughs> I mean, I think there's like just interesting things that happen at scale, like literally being able to know who's joining the org this week, where yeah. um, is. I mean, I, I've been doing this job for a number of years, like a few years ago, like that was trivial because I made all the hires and so I knew um but again at this scale like you know if we go a quarter without someone joining the team like 
that's significant. And so I need to know that at the same time, if we're onboarding like a huge amount of people all at the same time, that's another thing that I need to know. Um, And so there's just these, these challenges that like literally didn't exist a few years ago. And again, when you're operating at scale, all of a sudden become really important. We haven't even mentioned that your Jen's team is doing this all remotely. (laughs) Oh, like insane, you know, Shopify is in this kind of odd privileged position, right. Of being like a business accelerated by the pandemic. Yep. So it's not like, Oh, we're slowing down. We're getting back to basics. No, it's like, no, no, more, more scale, uh, more talent all over the world. And yeah, as somebody who's also relatively new just to have the kinds of tools and resources and rituals that even though we are all in very different teams connect us, you know, just enough. And like, that's been a game changer for anybody, I think, starting in the last two years. I don't know if you're allowed to call yourself new, Sadia. <laughs> oh, it's one been year a year. Is not new. There you you're go. Right. One, year, right. one year is not you're new right. anymore. You're not allowed. You're right. You're right. You're Sorry, right. Monica, you're go totally ahead. Right. <laughs> well, no, I was just about to say it's like, it's also, um, you know, you come to rely on it so much that, like, in the areas where it's still being developed, because maybe it's a newer part of UX or maybe just yeah. a part of the org that's not as mature. You're like, oh my God, like you, you feel that gap so heavily because it's, it's such a well-oiled machine elsewhere. And yeah. so it just creates this like flywheel of like, we just need this level of organization everywhere because Jen, to your point, like different, like maybe parts of UX might operate slightly differently. And so you kind of want that rigor mm-hmm. when you get to a certain scale anyways, um, for those like sub orgs. You, you want that rigor. And so it's like you crave it even more. Um, yeah. And when it's still being developed, you're like, oh, I, I need it like now. <laughs> How quickly can we get there? So then Monica, yeah. staying with you for a second, because Sadia and I and Jen actually have the privilege of having joined Shopify at some point in the last couple of years. But you have literally grown at Shopify, right? So um, I don't know if I'm allowed to go into this, but essentially you, you came into the organization, you were an IC and you've had that career ladder that has taken you up to the point where you're leading team of teams and you've got this uh, ridiculous number of people who come under your org. Um, What has that journey been like for you? Like growing as an individual contributor and then into a leader and then a leader of an organization that's this big at this time. I mean, I really wish I could say like, Oh, back in the day I had this dream and this is what I just (laughs) like. Yes. I always knew like I loved management and I loved uh, working with people. Um, But like specific to Shopify, I think one of the funnest things is that it's always felt like we'll just follow the opportunity and then it's Mm -hmm. kind of like it kind of ends up happening. Um, Mind you, I've had there very much is like that jungle gym. So like I was leading a really big team and then I went on leave and I came back and I had like three direct reports and it was lovely for a while because it was, you know, just really focusing in and like building up. (laughs) Um, and now here I am again, like three years later with, with this big org. Um, so it is, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to like, um, experience, uh, both like all of those different aspects of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'd say it really, it really has felt like just following that opportunity. And naturally I gravitate, obviously, I think towards, uh, you know, team building and, and leadership type activities. Like there's a reason why I'm not like a, a technical leader. Um, I'm more on the on the people side. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that it was like a strategic path either. It was like, well, where's the gap and how can I help? And then this is kind of where I've landed. 
is would you, would you say like and particularly in UX where like half the job of leadership sometimes is just to be the person with the clearest opinion right so like mm. would you say that you're called to lead like that you you know Sadie I think you have a cool story but like when did you become a leader in that sense or think about what you're doing as leadership uh, well, I am a Leo, so you know, I do have <laughs> strong fire sign energy. Oh, yes. I knew that's why we got There was on. a whole thing going oh. on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, so I, I've always had that in me, I think, just like a little bit of a leadership streak. But yeah, my leadership journey started at Pinterest. Um, and, you know, I was the, like, I see who complained a lot about how I thought things could be better, right? <laughs> and I was the person who would go to the CEO Q&A and kind of ask like a slightly leading snarky question about, you know, the way things were being done. And, you know, I was lucky that, you know, I joined when it was small and it was safe to do that. And my manager was just like, great, do you want to actually try to do this yourself? Do you want to be part of the change? <laughs> And so she sort of challenged me and, and believed in me and it, and it really forced me to not just be, you know, kind of on the sidelines critiquing how things could be, but actually being in the driver's seat as far as, you know, oh, I've got problems with how things are being run. I actually now am empowered to fix it. So my career, I definitely, anytime I see somebody who I has that spark of this could be better, I'm like, have you thought about management? <laughs> and, and then you, you know, you also go through a whole you know, humbling process of understanding the other side of that, which is, it's not as easy as it looks for yes. sure. Because basically shit rose uphill. Was that the same for you, Monica? <laughs> Were you basically just opinionated and finding yourself being nominated to therefore just... Very, very much so. And I think yeah. it's so empowering when you have that other person kind of validate like what they're kind of witnessing because it's very similar happened to me where, uh, yeah, you kind of you're that person that just wants to kick up some dust and be like, well, let's, let's do it this way. Mm -hmm. Or like, can we do it yeah. another way? Um, what's, what was maybe, maybe tough for me is that in some parts of tech, like management is like a bad word. Like you should be oh, a yeah. contributor. You're not actually doing mm -hmm. the work. Yeah. And so part of me was like, you know, am I, I was at the time in a very, very flat organization. This was before Shopify. And so I felt like, you know, is there a space for another man? Like, is, you know, am I allowed to be doing this? Yeah. Like, this is processy stuff. Um, and then I actually, we ended up doing a company-wide, like, um, like strengths finder exercise. And so I did, like, okay. most of the company was like, oh, you're a futurist or you're like a doer. And then I had, I forget what it was called, but it was very, it was basically like, you're a manager. Um, <laughs> and someone was like, oh, that's awesome. Like, look at the rest of this team. Like, we, we need someone mm -hmm. like this. And that kind of gave me permission to lean into it because yeah. someone, someone literally said like, oh, this is, these are great qualities. Whereas before I thought like, oh, I don't know, is this icky? And so I kind of allowed myself to like embrace that and see where it took me. But it, it definitely took some encouragement from a senior leader. Um, and so I've tried to parrot that, like, especially when I'm working with new leads or mm -hmm. people where I see that leadership potential to say like, hey, like, you know, do you want to do this one day? And it sounds like Sadia, you had a very similar experience. Like, yeah, I, I think it's so empowering when you have someone ask you that kind of a question. Yeah. And I, I so relate to like doing the strengths finder and being like, oh, all my skills are influencing. Yes. Is that a thing? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I look, I love the craft. I come from content and I can nerd out on that. But I, I kind of realized early on, I nerded out way more on the like, how do decisions get made yeah. and how do things work? And like, 
you know, I definitely have had self-consciousness about not being more technical. Yeah. And and it's only been through the path of management that I've realized, no, no, this is actually a hard skill too. It's a right? whole and it's been, thing. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. Like I think, I think, and this is something that I feel has been a really constructive acknowledgement. Shopify is the most professional leadership organization that I've ever been in, i.e. calling out the craft of leading and then encouraging you to invest in it and then holding you accountable for delivering on it. It's like leading the business is a thing, right? And that leadership isn't doesn't come for free just because you were really good at doing IC stuff. It is a mix of instinct and investment and, you know, combining those two things. Um, and I know, Jen, recently, like there's been talk of going a bit further and talking about UX management and how do we pull up visibility of that growth curve that people need to go on that says I'm transitioning into this other layer and I need to understand a new set of muscles that I need to build, right? Yeah, it's really interesting, Kala, because I think there's leadership in general, right? And there's like experts at Shopify that are working specifically on some of those, like what is leadership? How do we how do we go through this? What does the rigor around that look like in terms of performance evaluations and those kind of things? What I find more interesting is like, let's dig into like, what does it mean to be a UX leader? What are the unique skills, trainings, all of those kind of things that we need to make sure that we are really thinking about when it comes to making sure that we have the best leaders in place. Okay. So let's dig into some more controversial things here, because this is this, this idea of what does it mean to lead UX? So I cannot find it, but my love to hate it Twitter argument thing, (laughs) there was an article a few months back about this glory days of UX and how everything that we do now is basically rubbish because it's nothing like what used to happen, you know, 10 years ago when the original, and let's be real, founding fathers of UX (laughs) uh, were doing it and they were defining what was good and, and what made sense. And so here we are right now and we are leading this craft in this era. I'm interested in your take. Is UX better now? than say 10, 15 years ago when we entered into this discipline area and this craft area? Or, you know, am I I just basically a bit uh, salty because I don't like it when people tell me that things used to be better back in the day? (laughs) No, you're, I think you're totally right. I also, I started my career in journalism and I hear the same thing from the same people about, oh, the way it used to be in the nineties when only a few people who looked a certain way got to tell stories. And (laughs) so I, look, better, I, who depends how we want to define that, but it's a hell of a lot more inclusive yes. than it used to be. And I'm like very confident a person with my background on all levels would never be in this role um, mm. 10 years ago or would have had a really hard time breaking into yeah. UX. So I think the fact that UX is no longer um, just the opinion of a few yes, and has really like developed some rigor um, and, and inclusion of other opinions and other disciplines is is a huge improvement. Massive tick. I agree. Monica, what do you think? I um so my journey to UX was was really through front end development and so that's where I started my career and so I didn't get exposure to some of the like historical names mm-hmm. until honestly like quite recently. Yeah. And so maybe I'm not the right person to ask, but I just um You're not missing out. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, you're not. So Yeah. I mean, like, I just think that the complexity is so high right now. And so I just kind of almost reject outright any kind of rose colored glasses of the olden days. Like, I assume that, you know, the things that we're doing now, like, obviously, they came in through a progression, but like, 
the landscape is so different now. Um, you know, yeah. we all have these like super machines in our hands, whereas 10 years ago, we really didn't, or we were just learning how to use them. Yeah. So yeah, I just kind of, I, I kind of reject the premise outright. Um, but again, I, I wasn't there 10 years ago, so it's, it's hard for me to say. Well, it's so I'm funny. really glad that I'm here now. Well, this is it. So I, <clears throat> sorry, Sadia, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, one thing I do want to acknowledge that's I think a bit harder to talk about is I have seen pressure at the last couple of places I've been at where UX is, is, you know, needing to be much more attached to business outcomes. Right. Mm -hmm. And like needing and every discipline within that, uh, what we call UX needs to sort of, um, prove that value. And, and so I almost think there has been a right sizing of UX that has been maybe painful, um, in some cases, but is ultimately about like being accountable and doing work that matters. And I think that's a good thing though. I know it's been sort of a transition I've observed. I mean, it's, that's actually one of the things that brought me towards UX because, you know, I started Mm -hmm. more on the engineering side and I was much more interested in like, well, what are the, like the user problems? What are the business problems that we're trying to solve? Like, that's where I would get excited, not in, you know, how are we going to do it? And so I've, my bias has always been towards like UX being a really strong business partner. And that's not to say that like UX bows down to what the business is trying to do. Like, I think there's can be like a really healthy tension there. And sometimes you literally just have to say, no, this isn't ready. Um, But I like, I appreciate that because it also gives for me like a foundation as to like, well, what exactly is the value? What are we going to do now that we're at the table? Um, And how are we going to shape these conversations? And I think it's really hard to shape those conversations when you when you are very far removed from that business value. Yeah, and I I used to have a deck. I remember when um so I I have been in UX for a long time. It feels like I did my masters in 2005 and so I have seen this industry evolve from like usability studies and like I'm just going to mm-hmm. point at all the mistakes you've made to one that has yeah. like the full range of creative potential like encapsulated in it and way more placement and I remember I used to do like an alumni visit for my um university and it had this graphing it about how like back in the 90s the web developer person would basically do all the jobs all the content all the design they'd create the lovely carousels and then they'd load and do ftp this and then they'd kind of host and then you had this explosion in dev skills and engineering niches that needed to exist for like our modern tech era and I feel like UX has just been on the same thing the challenge however is with expansion comes the question of quality right more people more failed attempts you get really really low lows then you get some exceptional highs so how do you guys think about quality and that quality bar especially when UX at Shopify does actually mean a bunch of different disciplines, not necessarily our own, but like managing across disciplines and then always pushing for like better and like better every single time. How are you framing that in the way that you're setting up yourself and your teams? I feel like um, we've had this conversation a couple of times, actually. The the perennial question, how do you measure quality um, and how do you raise the bar? Yeah, I mean, um, when I joined, I felt like the team had gone into like full iteration mode. Mm-hmm. It was just, let's just do V2, V3, v, you know, and that wasn't necessarily getting us to big, um, uh, big step changes in the product. And 
Yeah, for me, it's always been a combination of, okay, let's understand the business problem. Let's understand the user goals. Let's um, really evaluate our UX against those things. But it also is a leap of faith on taste and good judgment. And that's, I still think, incredibly important. Um, and we have the benefit, actually, of working at a company that actually believes in that. And, um, you know, and so that's really hard. How do you teach taste? How do you teach judgment? Um, yeah. You know, we've done really practical things, right? Like, let's just, like, look at a lot of work together as a yeah. team yeah. from other companies, from our own company. Can we get to a shared vocabulary around what is good? What has become industry standard? What are things that have become industry standard that we think aren't good yeah. <laughs> that we want to innovate on? And how do we how do we craft those arguments and perspectives together? But, you know, and then we also have the, the, the balance of really good data teams and experimentation so that mm -hmm. when we do take those bigger leaps of faith and design, you know, we get a little signal and like, OK, did we did we tank all the numbers or did not? It, yeah. If we did, are we comfortable with that? All of that. But it's um. It's the thing I think about every year. Yeah. And also as your team gets better, the bar is higher, right? Which yeah. is amazing. But then it's like, what's the new bar? Yeah. Um, but that's, it's been the hardest thing I think as a leader. And you said something there that was super interesting, actually, that was a conversation. We won't necessarily talk about the specifics, but Monica, you and I briefly touched on this, which is just like taste and judgment and the, the subjectivity mm -hmm. of some things being oh, yeah. good or bad versus, you know, like actually performing. And, and this came up in the conversation with Toby as well. Like, yeah. Stuff that he doesn't like can go live if it does its job really well. But that question of taste mm. and judgment, that is also still something that we're trying to push for, right? So how do you think about that, Monica? I mean, I, I think like I look at, I have to look at things much more holistically because like I said, I kind of have this team of teams. And so, you know, we, we talk about this like singular quality bar, but I think it's so dependent on the team, the maturity of the product, like mm -hmm. where they are in their journey. And so even if I look across my own team, like um, there are parts of the org that are like iterating on mm like years worth of product. And like, when you look at screenshots from like day one to now, like it's undeniable, like the quality has increased. Yeah. Um, and that was through, you know, a lot of the similar types of processes, I think, Sadia, that you just talked about. Then we've got teams that are going zero to one. They don't know if they've got product market fit. They like the quality bar, the dis discussion is almost, it's less about like the specific design quality and more so like what's the scope of feature that we can reasonably mm -hmm. ship given that this whole problem space is so big and mm -hmm. we can either wait three years to ship something that we don't know much about, or we can kind of build out these increments. And so mm -hmm. like that measure versus kind of this longer tail, like those are two completely different types of conversations. Yeah. And I think in all of those, like you are going to need to have like those tastemakers. And so that's where I think like building a really strong team and having you know, having those opinionated designers with that like sense of taste that they can articulate, um, it's not going to make or break, but, you know, they can galvanize the conversation and they can at least spark something. Yeah. And so that's where you kind of need that mix of, of different folks. Yeah. And that's maybe, I mean, just to go back to our earlier conversation, maybe that's where, you know, some of that, um, more subjective stuff may have been more present in let's say the days of yore where we weren't <laughs> as connected to the business. Yeah. Um, but you still, you, you do need, you, you need kind of both. And so yeah. it's like, how do you stack your team 
with, with the folks that really understand the business, with the folks that have the taste, with the folks that understand like the product life cycle. Yeah. And then through some combination of all of those things, you derive like quality. Quality. I'm I'm really glad you brought up this distinction between the types the type of project and the yeah. stage. Yeah. I think a lot of leadership is having that judgment around like, oh, my team is building a net new project. And they feel really attached to our existing components when they don't need to be. Yeah. When it's like, we actually don't need to prioritize the system or yeah. the consistency yet. Yeah. Because it's so early we days. We're just, that. you know. Yeah. Exactly. I think that is a really important judgment that gets developed. And I feel like, Jen, to bring you back in, like, you end up being on the sort of, sometimes we make these quality decisions and we kind of have the subjective and the taste and the judgment. But then there's like, okay, the tooling standard has changed. Uh, okay, the the um, mm. operational standard has changed and now everybody needs to be doing X and everybody needs to have Y and people want to do this. And you then have this other job of like operationalizing a quality bar shift in mm. your team of making sure everyone's got this kind of tool. So how do you frame that? How do you think about that? Uh, in many different ways. So, I mean, and this comes out in different, very different forms as well. Like if we're thinking of tooling, you know, security measures change, access needs change. So really, um, I think from that perspective, it's really more of like, how do we become experts in change management, listen to what people need and really institute those things. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to new areas of learning, this is another way and sort of getting back to that, um, what I mentioned before about really establishing a strong foundation. So making sure that everybody is sort of starting from the same place when people are coming in via onboarding or ongoing education, that we're all speaking the same language when we think of things like accessibility, that everybody's yeah. starting from a really strong starting ground that's been well established. And then we can build upon that, something like that. If it wasn't that this is, it's like literally designed to live at Shopify, I honestly think our onboarding programs could be like an independently successful company on their own. Like they're just so (laughs) freaking good, Uh, you know, and you get people coming out of two weeks of onboarding and they're just like, oh my God, I'm so energized. And I just think the keenness that's like, you know, you kind of join a company excited and then at the end of onboarding, your hype levels are like beyond max, you know, which is oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. yeah, I get it a and lot I'm, in my team. It's again, like as an exercise in change management, really, like if one practice changes, it needs to get changed in like 10 different places, right? So yeah. through onboarding, through our documentation, our internal wikis, all of those kind of things, yeah. keeping on top of all of those changes is like a role in itself. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Okay, so then let's move on to like sort of our, our final topic and an interesting one, certainly for me in the last couple of years, which is the re-emphasis we need to make into senior ICs. So management has always felt like the path of uh, of growth and professional development. But actually what ends up happening is, as we've said, management is a job in and of itself and you lose your technical skills. And then who's your role model, right? Who's your go-to person for the hardest problems um, Monica, maybe starting with you, cause I know you just, you know, you've been making a big push in this area as well. It's like, how do you think about that icy path and why we need more people maybe to opt into it actually, and to still be willing to be like technical leaders at the highest level of craft. Cause we, we have IC available all the way up to director equivalent at Shopify. So like, how do you think about that? I mean, this might be a bit controversial, but like, 
at a certain point, especially at those very senior levels, like, yes, they are two distinct roles, mm-hmm. but there is a very strong, like, Venn diagram of yeah. skills. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I, like, the simple way that I always think about it is, like, do you act directly or do you act primarily through others? That's that's how mm-hmm. I've been, that's how I've always thought about it. But, like, now that I've been working quite a bit with some principal designers, like, they're, they they I mean, they're not managing, but they're still influencing. They're still mentoring. They're still talking to people who especially mm-hmm. are interested in pursuing that same career path. They're still having to push really strong ideas across the company to try and like raise the bar. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that sometimes they're really presented as these like very distinct forks and like either mm-hmm. you're a people person or you're a technical person. And I, uh, I don't know that I agree with that stark of a contrast because, mm-hmm. you know, in both roles to be successful, you do have to be able to influence. And it's yeah. in one way, and you have you're to influencing know the through an org chart, which is yeah. almost easier because, well, you know, you're someone's boss. <laughs> the other way, it's almost you have to have even like you have to have different kinds of people skills because you're influencing through your craft. And that yeah. can be really tricky because, you know, no one has to listen to you. Yeah. So your ideas better be really damn good. Um and so, like, it's really amazing when that when you witness that kind of a change happening initiated through, you know, a technical lead. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's just something that, like, I personally just, yes, there are two different roles, but, like, you, you still need to be a really great communicator, really great at relationships and really great at articulation, regardless of the role. Yeah. And I think there's, like, a there's still an element of scaling yourself in being a senior IC that's important. Yeah. Like I've had the the privilege to work with a few myself and I, you know, speaking to all the logistics of right, man, and all the things you have to do as a manager, mm-hmm. do managing performance, managing business priorities, taking care of craft and quality is incredibly hard on top of that. And what I've said to my senior ICs is like, we actually need you to scale your talent. Yeah. To other people, like in the form of teaching, right? Yeah, in the time. form of collaboration, in, in the time. form of like, you, what you do is so amazing. We need 10 of you. Yeah. And if like, that doesn't mean you have to do their performance reviews. That doesn't mean you have no. to be in unnecessary meetings, but teach us how you do what you do. And that's actually us scaling up the entire organization. Yeah. That's 100%. so interesting. You frame it like that too, because it's like that one-to-one influence. And I think what ops is really here to help is like, how do we move that one-on-one conversation to a one-to-many in terms of scaling up skills? Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that I'm doubling down on as well. And my team is like the role modeling is my number one ask of of a senior IC. It's that, you know, show your working, show your thinking, share that mindset and other people can see and pull down from it. And spend, have the capacity to spend the time with the problem that maybe I can't spend, but also elevate that technical output so that other people are like, oh, I see how you got there. And then, like you said, you multiply into 10. It is probably the coolest. I honestly think I am very good at people leadership, but I think there was a point in my career where I felt like I chose to be a people leader for for, uh, vertical progression. And I'd ask myself that question maybe again, if an IC path was clearer would I have done that? And I don't know, actually. I think I enjoy, sometimes I, like, the few times I get into Figma, you know, that I'm, like, really moving stuff around. One, I'm nowhere near as good as anyone else on my team because I don't do it every day. But it just feels so good to be in there and, like, trying to make the problem. Yeah. 
I was going to ask you, Lola, could, do you think you could go back? Is it a one-way door? Uh, I think I think I could go back. I think I would just need to be in a position where I would spend every day in the problem. Yeah. Like I've had, I've had a couple of wins here where like, you know, I'm working with the team and it's like, we're just not getting to the thing. And I'm like, I know what it is in my head. So what I'm just mm-hmm. going to do is I'm just going to make it and then we're going to talk about it and then you're going to push it yeah. to the next level. And every time that happens, it feels like there's a rush in my fingers. You know, you're kind of like, oh, mm-hmm. and then you envision a million other things that you want to do. But then you're like, no, no, it's not my job anymore. I have to <laughs> amplify in different ways. And so, yeah, I, th- I think in another lifetime, uh, I would definitely be interested in spending more time doing IC work. I don't know if I'd be the best designer out there, but I'd certainly have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, and that's half the battle, isn't it? Um, thank you so much, ladies. Okay, we've come to this end of the session. So how many of you remember? Do you remember the, the good old chatterbox days? From We, sh- we were going to ship these to each of you, but then the fun folding would have been a whole other thing because it's a lot harder <laughs> To make than you realize. Um, um, we called it a cootie catcher. Growing yeah. Up. See, this has come up in another conversation. It's like uh, fortune oh teller. I'm not allowed to say that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people call it that. I'd never heard that term either. I've like, never heard about it either. But I, it I think it's a great name. American? It was like something about fortunes. It was always about okay. telling your fortunes. Mm. Yeah. That. Fortune teller, chatterbox, cootie catcher. Those are three names that we've now had. So. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Jen, starting with you, which one would you like to start with? Yellow is a color. The banana. The banana. A banana, yeah. Yeah, okay. B-A-N-A-N-A. Okay, you have one, two, five, and six. Which number would you like? Five. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. And then you still have one, two, five, and six. Which number would you like? Five again. Five again, okay. Question number five is, when did you know you wanted to work in UX? So interesting because I I kind of come inside. I'd say that um, I started my career working in music. I worked for a record label, moved into ma- record manage or artist management. I'd say that wow. I did not know manage- that about you. That is yeah. so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, in festivals, I was in that space for about ten years. Oh. Um, I'd say that when I was managing artists, it's very similar to UX in that like you're managing the experience of an artist being on tour. So I'd say like that's nice. probably my first foray into it. And I was yeah, different variations from there. Do we also have like crazy writers and like artist temperaments as well? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, you have a crazy story. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> You're holding back. You're yeah. holding back. No, okay. all those things like uh, from the food they eat to the travel time, from where to stop for rest stops, like really like managing every inch of that experience of an artist being on tour. I am grateful for that experience. It's probably why you have so much patience with me, Jen. Uh, <laughs> it's an exercise in patience. Exactly. Uh, Monica. Um, is that rocket. a rocket? Rocket, lettuce, cart, or the banana? Yeah, rocket, please. Rocket. rocket. Okay. Can I spell rocket? R-O-C-K-E-T. So you've got seven, eight, three, and four. What's the yellow? Uh, four. Okay. All right. Four, please. One, two, three, four, seven, eight, three, and four again. Four, please. Okay. Question number four for Monica is, uh, if you could go backwards or forwards in time, where would you go and why? (laughs) (laughs) Gosh. 
was very different than Jen's question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mixed bag. This is the thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm tempted to just jump forward when we've got all the vaccines and this is all just a nightmare behind us and I can just start traveling and being a normal person. But that's that's a very like today's answer. Um, Sounds like a good I think I'll go with it, though, because that's definitely the vibe. Like, can I just fast forward? I feel that very emotionally. It's very deeply ingrained in my body. I'm just like, yeah, I mean, I miss seeing people in person and like not being weird about it. So, yeah. yeah. And you used to head up international, and so, like, the world was literally your teams. Yes. I regret not traveling more when I was, like, incentivized to. (laughs) (laughs) You always think, I'll do it later. I know. I know. Thank you for that. And Sadia? You said there were letters. There's lettuce, a cart. Oh, lettuce. A banana. Let's do lettuce. Lettuce. Okay. L-E-T-T-U-C-E. I called that cabbage the first time out because of the Britishness, but there you go. Uh, three, four, seven, and eight. Uh, seven. Okay. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Three, four, seven, and eight. Three. All right. Question number three is, what would you tell your 16-year-old self about what you do today? Now, this this is a hard oh one. <laughs> How this do you explain so your job? <laughs> it's like same, same, but different. Like somehow I I wanted to be a writer. And it's like I, I got to carry – but I thought I would be – you know, I thought I'd be like a war reporter, which wow. is funny to see me now. Um, <laughs> the That's choices I made cool. to not do that. <laughs> So I thought I, but but in in a weird way, like all my like storytelling, writing, content stuff is kind of still relevant, especially in a war zone. Sometimes in (laughs) it's not always a war zone. (laughs) Honestly, though, my sixteen-year-old self would be like, "What the hell are you talking about? User experience." Sounds very human, not? No. (laughs) I don't know about you, but I don't know how many years it's going to take to be in this industry to be able to explain it to a non-tech person, but I just haven't got there yet. Work Have in you progress. succeeded with your parents? No. Parents yet? No. Anybody? No. My sister sent <laughs> computers. Me, yeah. My sister sent me a voice note of her having the conversation with someone. She was like, "Oh yeah, my sister works in user experience, where she um, works on the experiences of users." And that was it. <laughs> and she was like, did I do okay? <laughs> Not bad, honestly. It's like, hey, honestly, listen, if, 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 said, if that makes sense thing. to you, it says a thing. Exactly. It's a good job. Uh, ladies, thank you <laughs> so, so much for your time. This has been a great conversation. really appreciate having you on the podcast. And uh, obviously, if you have public profiles, I know you're both hiring. Actually, all three of you are hiring. So we shall stick all your socials up and tell people to reach out and say hi. So thank you yes, very much. Yes, please. <laughs> thank you so much, Thanks, everybody. Lola. Thank you. Lola. Thanks for listening to Inside Shopify UX. Check out more from our team or find out how to join us by visiting ux.shopify.com. Inside Shopify UX is hosted by me, Lola Yolayo Pearson. Produced by Jen Shaw. Assisted by Isabel Hamilcarassi. Edited by Michael Busser. With art and graphics by Alicia Giroux. Danny Chavez-Ackerman. And Trevor Slovani. Music by silent quiet spaces on the next episode of inside shopify ux we dive into the intern experience